What is up, everybody? It is Tuesday night, special edition Doc Talk. Stick around for this one. You guys aren't going to want to miss it. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a couple of weeks. We're uh, we're happy to see you. Feel free to ask your questions. Keep us rolling in the comments. This is a new edition of Doc Talk, special edition of Doc Talk. Number one, it's on a Tuesday instead of a Thursday. But our panel is down to one. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna be talking to an old friend of mine over here, over there. Um, gosh, you've been around the block, dude. Been around the block a time or two now. So yeah, yeah. Tell us, introduce yourself. Tell us, tell us where you hail from. Um, and we always make people tell us what kind of kayak they're fishing in. And I know you're fishing in a couple different kayaks. So just, just fill everybody in. Yeah, this is so non-biased podcast. I just want to start by saying, wow. Like I remember the days when I first met you of Bass Crazy. It's just awesome to see you come a long way. Congratulations. Yes, still, still kicking. <laughs> that's what you got to do. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm Donald Corbett. Um, the people who know me probably were around a long time ago. Um, got into kayak fishing a long time ago and kind of had a bait company and did all the things with 412 Bait Company. And, you know, I, I guess kind of why we're here is I enjoyed kayak fishing from a different time. And uh, I'll preface it with saying, like, throughout the conversation, I have nothing against people they want to fish for a living and they want to fish big dollar tournaments. And I just want to say that out front because some of the stuff I'll say following would make it seem like I'm not for that, but by all means have at it, enjoy your life, do what you want to do. It just wasn't for me, but uh, yeah, I, I got lucky with the way that my whole kayak fishing journey started. Um, you know, you take it way back. I was Creek fishing, you know, wading, I had a small boat for lakes, which wasn't really my thing. So it kind of ended up something that just sat on the side of the house. Mm -hmm. And a, a majority of my fishing was just wading creeks and swift water. And then I got to a point where I discovered this whole thing of making baits and that it was possible to buy these molds and create your own ideas. And it just kind of caught off real fast. Um, bought a mold and started making baits and learning about different things and you know researching how fish see and colors and light projection and all these different things it was kind of fun back then and uh it ended up really leading into an interesting chain of events i first started making baits i made a post on a forum and a guy that some people probably know just happened to reach out to me noah heck and um, at the time he was starting a nonprofit and their goal was to create a tournament trail for kayak fishing that also had this nonprofit aspect to it, right? 
So mm-hmm. back then what they would do is a certain amount of an entry fee would go to heroes on the water is what it was back then. Yeah. You know, they would get wounded veterans out on kayaks, do kayak fishing and whatnot. And I thought it was kind of cool. And like, I had no idea what kayak fishing even was. So, you know, he asked me if I would be willing to sponsor the trail. And it's kind of funny because everybody knows that after that, like that question got asked to me a lot. The answer was always yes. It's just, it, I kind of said this in a comment on one of your posts though, but it, like we all love the same thing. We found peace in the same oh, yeah. thing. So every time someone asked, I just said yes and sent some baits and the rest was history in that regard. But I started working with Noah and I showed up to my first kayak fishing tournament. It was the first kayak anglers tournament ever held. I think there was 10 people. And uh, the, the most important thing about it was I got lucky in the sense that making money out of tournament winnings never had to be my goal because my goal was promoting my company. So regardless, win, lose, or indifferent, prize money, it didn't matter. As long as I was getting to meet people, you know, kind of just get out in the community and kind of just let people know I had a product. And mm-hmm. uh, the rest was history. I, I fished that tournament. I think 10 of us showed up to a little private lake behind Noah's house at the time. <laughs> the first tournament was hilarious. It was cold. I want to say it was in March up here in Pennsylvania. Um, nobody caught anything. Everybody skunked except for me. I caught two fish and that was good enough to win the tournament. And it just kind of caught on from there. You know, the the whole like... We went there, we all lined up, we did the whole tournament thing. I mean, there was no apps. We we had digital cameras, we're taking pictures of fish and then oh, it was it was all by hand back then, man. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. There was there was nothing like we have today with like, you know, the hog trough did 40 X and the to- the hog trough was there. So that yeah, was it didn't back then back it was then. this Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it was a amazing like i i can't really say much else about it and then uh we kind of just started doing more of the tournament thing and i remember noah came to me and was like hey there's this big tournament happening down in north carolina on lake wiley he's like mm-hmm. you have any in traveling down there and i was like sure again my mind i didn't care about the the purse or anything it was just meeting more people from different places and kind of exposing my product further so we went down, we did kayaks and greenbacks. Uh, gentleman, Adam oh, yeah. Fillmore, had hunt fish paddle at the time. And um, I think he was trying to rival the first KBF tournament that just happened a few months earlier. Close. Yeah. And it, it was just an awesome experience. I met so many people that I'm still friends with to this day, like loyal friends, not just like someone mm-hmm. I fished with. And it's, it's been that way ever since, right? And from there, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about that tournament. So Drew Gregory had already been talking to Noah about river bassing. So mm-hmm. Drew was who invited us to come down and fish this tournament. Drew's like, just stay at my place. We had never met this guy in person ever before. <laughs> we show up in Charlotte, you know, at Drew's condo, and he's like, yeah, man, crash on the couch, blah, blah, blah. And it just set the tone for everything that my adventure in kayak fishing would be. It was just beautiful. Like this guy I'd never met invites me into his house. 
And naturally, like I researched him beforehand. I'm like, wow, this, this guy's pretty big in kayak fishing already. And he's just kind of letting us stay with him. It was hilarious. But, you know, we did that event. I did horrible. I don't even think I caught a fish. It was terrible. <laughs> the conditions were rough. It was a new lake to me. I had little to no experience with kayak fishing at the time. I did so bad. But I got to watch Drew. And, you know, anyone that's had a chance to fish with Drew, you understand that he will do anything to get to fish. Like, he'll put himself in harm's way to get to fish. Oh, yeah. And I'll never forget watching him. We're at the dam at the top of Lake Wiley. So it's almost like a little tiny river that you paddle up, but it doesn't turn into a river until the dam starts to generate. So it was like literally just kind of paddling up a creek that was calm. So we get up there, Drew takes a carabiner with a rope and hooks himself to the dam. Like literally, like, you know how you have those ladders that are like metal pipes that come out of the concrete oh, yeah. and go up? He hooked himself to one of those and he's literally fishing up against the dam. And I'm just looking at him like, that doesn't seem safe. And then the sirens start going off. And three of the generators start going. So the water starts going up fast as hell. So Drew's oh, yeah. still connected to the dam. He's going up. He's fishing, fishing, fishing. And then it stopped generating. So the water instantly drops down like a good four feet. And I look up and I see him coming down quick. And I watch his hand go and just swipe the carabiner off the ladder and barely make it before his kayak and everything dump because the water dropped so much. Oh, my gosh. And I, I just kind of to me, it was like, man, this guy's the real deal. And throughout that whole weekend and being down there, we talked about river bassing and kind of how that worked. And, and back then, river bassing didn't have any purse. There was no money. Mm, no, it was all prizes. And, you know, getting to travel the country and fish rivers, my favorite place to fish was always moving water. So I'm like, this is perfect. You know, it's a team event. We can have fun and go do this thing, travel around, meet people. It just kind of seemed perfect. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where my journey went from there. And I got into river bassing. And a shout out to everyone I fished with in river bassing. That whole thing ended up like a family. Like we would just oh, travel cool. all over the country, these different places. We ended up all knowing each other. So a lot of times, like if someone had rented a house or we're kind of doing our thing, we'd invite other anglers over. There was no money. So there wasn't like this fear of talking about where did we fish yesterday or who did well and who didn't do well. It was just fun. And mm -hmm. yeah, it just, the adventure was different and the money wasn't involved. So the travel was fun. And then I started sponsoring Angers through 412 and mm -hmm. kind of dragging them along to things. If anyone remembers kind of those tournaments, my fishing partner was like a childhood friend, had very little fishing experience. I think he blanked the first like four or five tournaments we fished. And I'm just like, come on, Mike, you got to catch a fish, buddy. Like we're struggling here. <laughs> but that's what it was about, though. Like nothing oh, about yeah. winning mattered. <laughs> it was just the trip. You know, renting a house, spending time with other anglers, having a good time, drink a beer around a fire. It was and, a different thing. Even the online presence was completely different. Like if when you flash back to that time, it kind of gives you cultures a little bit. Um, just thinking about, man, like 
how how we were all connecting differently. Like there was just there wasn't envy. It was more stoke, wouldn't you say? I mean, as far as just like, man, that's a dope photo. Man, that's a big fish. Everybody was just kind of stoked on everybody. It's like this little collection of dudes in plastic boats was just, I don't know. It was just different. It's hard to explain really to, to people that didn't experience that moment. To try to explain it, the best way I can say it is everybody was learning from everyone. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't that animosity like, damn, you won the event and I didn't. It was more so a desire to learn what that person did so you could do it too. Even in the posting mm-hmm. and the social media stuff and the marketing, everybody was just trying to learn. Yeah. So there wasn't like that animosity with like, damn, you've got more followers than me. Or like right. everybody shared everybody's stuff. If something cool happened, everybody was kind of like proud of their friend accomplishing whatever that was, rather than I lost to that person, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just like what you're saying, I mean, you guys pulled us. um, We were kind of in the big boat scene and you guys start. I don't know. I don't remember how you guys found us, but it was kind of like everything funneled through Noah somehow some way and Stuart venable quite a bit as well for me but it was like everybody kept finding us and posting to our page and like we kept sharing out pictures and it was like these guys are cool these photos are dope look at the fish that these guys are catching i mean it it made it look like something that was it piqued curiosity and something we had to go do is as people that were seeking adventure and different ways to catch fish it was like we have to we have to try this and yeah the rest has been history i mean it's it's just wild how it all happened and that was the thing we were fishing water that boat anglers couldn't get to you know with the Mm -hmm. swift rivers the shallow water we were going through you know various levels of rapids in our fishing when we were fishing river bass and you know like we're having events on rivers all over pretty much the eastern half of the country. Like, yeah. I'll give a shout out to my favorite river ever. I used to go there every year was the Catawba. I used to yeah. love going down there. Um, you know, some of my local friends, I hear it's not the same because of like recreational stuff and the tubing and all that. But mm-hmm. we were just getting to fish that boat anglers couldn't. So it made for amazing content for us, right? Oh, like a 20 inch smallmouth, or it, it, they weren't expecting to see that as frequently as we were catching them. And it just really helped shoal bass. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like we were on some rivers that had bass that maybe nobody has caught before and like these Mm -hmm. weird species. And then we had Drew explaining it all because that guy, like he fished every moving water flow everywhere. And he knew all these obscure species. Like I remember having conversations with him and just being amazed at his level of knowledge and how he chased fish differently. He did. I mean, he, he really, he really done something. And, you know, as, as the early boats were developed, um, you know, through, through the eyes of this transition that you guys were really in the forefront of as a group, um, it was amazing. And it's, it's still amazing because there's still technology that's coming from those early days and you early paddlers. That's, that's transforming some of these newer boats and and what they do. I think that's really, really says a lot to what the way you guys were fishing and the things you guys did. 
Yeah, like my first boat I ever bought, my first kayak, I bought it from Hokuan. It was a pescador. And mm -hmm. like in the realm of fishing kayaks, that was a recreational kayak. It, mm -hmm. it was nothing compared to what we have now. You couldn't even stand in that thing unless you wanted to fall in the water. And uh, it kind of evolved from there. And obviously I got involved with Jackson. My favorite boat still to this day is the original Kusa. I mean, if you look at my background, that was my custom Kusa that Jackson made me in pink and black. I sold it to a guy when I took my long break from kayak fishing. And last fall, I was getting back into it and kind of made some posts and whatnot. And he reached out to me. He's like, you want your kayak back? And I was like, you still have it? And he's like, I haven't even used it. It's just been sitting. So I literally bought back my custom Kusa and I have it now. So it's pretty awesome. awesome. I got that in the Crescent. And, you know, I don't have any brand loyalties now or sponsorships or any of that crap. So I wanted to try a Crescent out because I kind of liked what they were doing, you know, keeping the price point right lighter paddle mm -hmm. kayak i mean that's a big thing obviously we talk about that a lot in our personal oh, conversations. Yeah. paddle kayaks is where it's at like i couldn't see myself in anything else yeah and for what you do i mean paddle kayaks work i mean that fits it fits the mold perfectly especially for the way you guys fish and the rivers that you guys are fishing it just you know it's awesome um so 412 happens and you know 412 was amazing um i call it 412 you call it 412 so see that's the that's terrible on my behalf but i always called it 412 um you crushed it with some your research and development in the bay area was phenomenal you had some of the best colors that have ever hit the market still to this day um you had one of the best spinner baits that i have ever used in the phase do you miss it it's interesting, right? So like, I mean, early on, I decided that I was making baits for me. I wasn't making them for customers. So I was able to get away with that whole thing where like, I'm not trying to create a bait that catches fishermen. Mm -hmm. I know that's cliche to say, but that's the truth. Like I was making baits to catch fish. I didn't care what people thought it looked like. So that was my focus, right? And mm -hmm. I did that for years and it grew and grew and grew. And I mean, as the people can remember, there was times I was so busy that it was just insane. Like, yeah. you know, 80 hour work weeks, all night making baits, just try to keep up. And uh, I, I kind of say it's like a double-edged sword, right? There's aspects of it like this, right? The adventure, the traveling, mm -hmm. the meeting people and like, with the tournament fishing, I use this as an opportunity to meet my customers and interact with them in person. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big proponent of loyalty, right? Like if you buy things from me repeatedly, I, I wanna do what it takes to create that loyalty. I don't want it to just be because of buzz or marketing. Like I want there to be a person behind the purchase. And that's what I tried to be for the customers. I miss that. I miss the traveling, you know, the winds, right? Like that was a big thing for me, just feeling the winds. One of the most amazing moments of my life was when Matt Ball won the KBF on one of my yeah. baits, literally in all the pictures had it on a 412 hoodie. And mm -hmm. I didn't even sponsor the guy. Like he was a customer. And yeah. that to me just like was a moment for a couple of things, right? Like I've arrived, this is a big deal. But it also proved to me the loyalty I built by doing what I did, traveling, hanging out with my customers, fishing with them. 
it meant something. Like how often can you say that a guy wins on the biggest stage at the time, has on shirts from a company, shouts out the company, tells the bait he used, but we had nothing, like no relationship at all. Like he was a customer that would just order baits. And obviously that wasn't the same after the fact, like there was a conversation and we righted that wrong. But, <laughs> but at that point, like that was big for me and being able to just have something like that, that showed I really made an impact on my customers. That's mm -hmm. the stuff I've missed. But like well, towards that the was, end. That's really speaks to like in that time period that we're talking about, there was so much more grassroots marketing, like what you were doing um jackson was doing it and some of the other companies and brands and people involved it was a lot of that grassroots going you had to go to the tournaments you connected it that way and that's just how things were it was more boondoggle style i guess it'd be the best way to put it yeah and you know what like every tournament i went to in a different area like you know what i would be like all right i'm going to tennessee you know i'd go fish in eastern tennessee for a river bass and event and it was always the same story when I would travel, right? Like I would gain some new customers, people would start buying baits, they'd start talking about the fish they're catching, but then it would lead to the kayak shops in the area reaching mm -hmm. out and be like, hey, we wanna carry your products. You know, Uncle Lem's, Caney Fork, like those are mm -hmm. all retailers from those areas because of me traveling, meeting people, building that loyalty. And the recipe just worked back then. I don't know if it could mm -hmm. today. But it did then. It, I think, I think it still can work. I think it's, and we'll get into this later. Maybe a little bit of what's missing, um, but as we go through this conversation, we'll we'll get to that part of it. Um, yeah, man, you had like four. You had fishing online. I mean, there were several. I still buy four twelve baits from fishing online. Um, they are still out there, kids. So if you're looking. They they still exist, just not yeah, so not got the same blood on the hooks that they used to have. Believe it or not, the guy that owns Four One Two Bait Company now, I buy my baits from. So it's it's a guy I trust to make what I made in my vision, mm -hmm. and he's a good dude. His name's Joe. He's a great bait maker. The quality is yeah. I, I don't want to take away from myself and say it's as good, but it's pretty damn close. It's pretty good. <laughs> good enough that I don't mind placing orders <laughs> and getting my base from them just like anybody else. The one that cracks me up is is kind of the free minnow and, and the smaller versions of it and the different things and like how Ned fishing has gotten so popular. But really, you kind of was there before it was a thing in a way. And that bait is a testament to catching fish and not fishermen. There's not a damn thing about that bait that looks appetizing. No. It just is what it is. But like anyone who's fished it can tell you once you tie it on and start throwing it, you catch fish. Like some 100%. tournaments that I would have never had a chance to place in, I won because of that bait. And it just, it looks beautiful in the water, fish weightless, mm -hmm. on a Ned, you know. Yep anything it, it's just it's versatile as hell and it gives you that slow approach where if nothing else is working it'll get you a limit it will for sure and the yoda was another one of my favorites i talk about the spinner bait but the spinner bait was nothing to me without the yoda and i still would do a lot of things for cold steel to come back i know he's 
lost the cold steel color but man that was like that was just one trailer that it's you don't really see another mold out there like that anymore it just had the right movement it was subtle but it just it worked really well with spinner baits chatter baits and i'm out of cold steel and not able to get any more we'll talk about that later a tough one i mean i'm sure if you asked me <laughs> might bring it back maybe after this but uh I remember who came up with that combination of bait and trailer. That was Noah. So, yeah. and he came up with probably the combination that became more popular than all else. It was a dream oh, sickle yeah. spinner bait and the copperhead Yoda. And still to this day, I fish it, but he started fishing it and he kicked my ass like three tournaments in a row with my mm -hmm. own baits. And I'm like, well, I got to start throwing the phase three at the time. Because him and I went through phase one and two really no. before it ever hit market. And then phase three was like, all right, we got it. So now we no. pushed out the market. But I started fishing them like crazy. And now I'm keeping up with him. And then we're going out and fishing, you know, river bass and events and placing. And other people started picking up on it. Something about that bait as a trailer just makes a spinner bait wobble and vibrate just a little bit different than a normal paddle tail. And I don't know what it is, but like, obviously anyone that's fished it knows it just draws stripes. Well, I had one dream sickle left that you had made in my tackle box. And I, I've carried it around because it's like, I don't want to use it unless I have to use it. Well, last year we went to film an Instagram reel for Cast King and it was, we was going to film and catch a fish on a spinnerbait. So it was like, we're going to force feed these fish a spinnerbait until one of them eats it. We went through white, we went through chartreuse, nothing, nothing, nothing. It was like, it was getting annoying to the point that I reached down in the box, pulled out the old gym. And instead of, instead of, I did not have any dreamsicle trailers left. I thought, well, bluegill, this has that, a little bit of that to it. So I grabbed a green pumpkin curly tail, cut it off, put it on there. Boom. Started catching fish in an instant with dreamsicle. So and testament that was a color, color that sure. Noah literally asked me to make, which was it's, interesting. It matches a lot of bluegill pumpkin seed style fish. It's just it's just a great color. That combination with the gold blades and moving water, just something about mm -hmm. you know the common species in moving water, you know, eastern half of the US. <laughs> when all else fails, it doesn't. It's just it's a weird circumstance I've never been able to explain, like to the point where, oh, you're new to tournament fishing. Just throw this in a free minnow all day. You'll do great. And it works. And your your blades, I think, were a little bit bigger than most that you buy out of the pack. So they had a little bit more thump to it out of the gate than a lot of baits did. I had to because we got so common with the Yoda as a trailer. If mm -hmm. the blades weren't just a little bit bigger, it would take over the action of the bait. And it would kind of mm -hmm. wobble too much, go too far. And it just, we found the perfect balance. And that's where the phase four came into play. We changed blades from three to four. And that yep. just ended up the perfect storm. That's when we invested in the 24 karat gold blades, took them a step further. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they I made all the I still to this day. Like, I don't think I could win tournaments without those baits. Well, and that blade was big enough too, that if you got yourself in a position, you could really throw that bait out there and just jerk it up to the top of the water and you could really get a 
a huge wake across the top of the water that these fish wouldn't just crush it like a buzz bait. You could almost dual purpose that bait if you was willing to reel fast enough to keep it up at the top of the water column. That's why I tended to use the quarter ounce more than the three eighths, because you could get it to the point, like you said, almost like a buzz bait where it's creating a small wake right at the top mm -hmm. with all that action. I mean, on a shallow river, if you're fishing a section of river that's three feet deep, like how deep do you need to go? Like the fish are going to yeah. see it one way or another. So bringing it along the surface, just creating more agitation. It just worked out. Dude, still best spinnerbait I've ever used. It's like the holy grail of spinnerbaits. If you guys don't have those, um, get on the website, head over to, I still believe fishing online carries everything. So head over there, check those guys out. You guys can pick up some 412 baits. But as let's, let's kind of start moving the other direction. So everything's going great, man. Like you're fishing a lot. You're doing a lot. Of, you guys were doing a lot of stuff for JK, you know, everybody, um, river bassin was cooking. I mean, it was the peak really. And things started to change for you. And let's kind of, Let's kind of go there and talk about some of the feelings that maybe started to happen for you that kind of led you to step back for a little while. Yeah. So with the business, it got to a point where I had two choices, really. I could invest in a facility and take it to another level, you know, machines and packers and all these things, or I could ship production overseas. And everybody that knows me and knows my story and the things I used to write in blogs, that wasn't my thing. I, I never really intended to take it overseas. And um, the whole facility thing at the time, I just didn't really want to get into having to manage so many people. Ironically, mm -hmm. that's literally what I did next, but that's kind of funny in itself. So 412 reached a point where I had two options. I either took on investors built a facility like full-on production or i sold and i ended up having an interested buyer and to be quite honest i was getting a bit burned out it was a lot you know 80 hours a week just making baits all night you know trying to run out on a thursday pre-fish friday fish a tournament saturday head back home to make more baits and it you, ran you me burnt down the crap right? out of your hand at one point too yeah dude i like at one point i think i took off like half of my hand skin because like 350 degree plastic i was tired of shit, and i turned around and i bumped a vat of plastic and it just poured straight across my hand and by instinct like you know how you just try to wipe it off i just wiped all my skin right off my hand with it and i'm just looking at open flesh and i'm just like oh that's bad but uh, yeah, so long story short, got burned out, had a couple options, went the route of selling. And then I looked at the tournament fishing thing, right? And I'm kind of like, do I want to keep doing this? And by that point, one of the things that was happening was all the trails I loved, the grassroots stuff, river bassin stopped. There was no more river bassin. All the local trails and like, I love these places, by the way, kayak anglers, MSK in West Virginia, you know, Southwest Virginia kayak anglers, all the trails, you know, Queen City in Charlotte. I used to just bounce yeah. around to fish local tournaments. Mm -hmm. It's what I love. 
But with the KBF, the, at that time, they were trying to get these local trails to come into their fold. Dude. So personally, not speaking for anyone else or saying anything negative, everything that I loved in a local trail was disappearing because of that affiliation. Right? The money was getting bigger. People were more concerned about qualifying for some national tournament with big payouts. And a lot of what I loved about it and found peace in, like truly found peace in, was expiring. It was disappearing. So mm -hmm. the best way I could put it is I just kind of sat back, looked at it all and was like, just going to head back to the corporate world for a little bit and take a break from this. And it ended up being longer than I hoped. I mean, I was gone probably a good four years just away from it all, watching, quietly watching. Mm -hmm. And it, it progressed further that direction. And that's what kept me away. I was just kind of like, I have no interest in trying to win tournaments and do that for a living. You know, I had gotten back into the software industry. You know, I was kind of doing totally different things. And that just wasn't what I liked about it, I guess. Nothing against anyone that wants to do that. I understand no, people want to make a living means. doing this, but that wasn't what I enjoyed. I enjoyed the friendship, you know, after an event, having 10, 15 people all gather together at a house that somebody rented, enjoy some beer, a fire, whatever. That That's what mm -hmm. I enjoyed about it. It was like sanity for me, almost like therapy. It's weird to say it that way, but that's kind of what it was for a lot of us back then. It was a common saying, right? Like, this is my sanity. Yeah. And that wasn't there. So I took a break. Finally, last fall, I, I happened mm -hmm. to move literally onto a river. And I had lived here for months. And the river was right at the end of the street. And finally, I'm like, you know what? I wonder if those rods that I still have a few of if I can clean one of them up, put some fresh line on and go check it out. And I walked down to the river and made a couple casts, caught a small mouth, caught a good large mouth, posted a picture just being funny. And people are like, holy crap, he's fishing again. And yeah. uh, it, it felt fun. So the rest is history. I got two kayaks. <laughs> I rebought everything. Like literally I had nothing at this point. And uh, here I am. I'm ready to get back into local tournaments. Like nothing national. I have no interest in that stuff. But no. I just want to go back and visit the trowels, like the rivers that I loved, and see the people that I used to fish with. You know, just just that mm -hmm. local stuff. And I, I also can say I noticed some of those local trails start to revert back to their roots, right? Like yeah, you're maybe seeing we, some of that. Maybe we don't want that connection to that big national thing anymore. And mm -hmm. that just, it, it kind of helped me want to get back involved, right? Like, I can't wait to go to a tournament in West Virginia, maybe fish the New or the Elk River with the MSKA guys and the KA guys in Western PA. Maybe go out to the South oh, yeah. fish a KA. Like, it's awesome to me that that stuff, like, I feel like people are finding value in the local stuff again, right? Because of the, the yeah. stress level so much less. Well, and I think that as times change and people are starting to see maybe that the big dollar amount that you're paying out, number one, I mean, out of the gate, let's think about it. I mean, in reality, is you miss work. Um, if you're going somewhere big, you could miss work for up to a week or three days to a week. So, you know, that's that's negative money 
right out of the gate by the time you've missed work, paid an entry fee. Um, and then, you know, your cost of travel, whatever. And, you know, I think with the economy and the different things, the way that it is right now, people are, they're scaling back a little bit. And I think that's kind of paying homage to some of these local trails in a big way, you know, saying, Hey, we can fish at home and do some pretty cool stuff. When you look back, right. You look back at those small trails, the story for people starting was almost always the same, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody would see something on social media about these kayak tournaments local to them. They would go to, you know, Dick's Dunham's, a big box store, buy some $250, $400 kayak and show up. Yep. And it was cool. Oh, yeah. Like that was fine. Sometimes those people won tournaments and got hooked. But like now the situation's a little different, right? By the mm -hmm. time you invest in a Hobie, you get a motor, you have your 10 rods and your screens and everything else, you've got 10 grand in equipment, you've got a high entry fee, mm -hmm. and you take a week off work to go pre-fish for this big event. And let's face it, right? Out of the 200 people that enter one of those events, maybe 30 of them have a shot. The rest are yeah. just kind of filling in the entry fees and the end purse. So mm -hmm. your average guy spends all this money thinking he's going to make this big future out of this situation, spends all this money on a tournament, you know, renting a place to stay, camping, whatever, boats and everything else. And they go to that first tournament and they place like 130th. Like talk about a killer to your enthusiasm. Like that finishes their tournament career as quickly as it started. But when you oh, can yeah. show up in a $250 kayak with three rods and maybe place even if you didn't, you were like, you know what? I'm going to come back to the next one because you didn't waste yeah. anything. You spent a Saturday. It, yeah. like, there was no major investment to lose. And I think that's what mm -hmm. was different and why it blew up so fast. It was right. accessible, cheap, fun, inviting. You know, all of us were just, we didn't care. If someone showed interest, nine times out of 10, someone would be like, you don't have a kayak yet? Great. I have a couple. Come. We'll set yeah. you up with a vest. We'll set you up with a paddle, a kayak, whatever you need. Just bring your rods and your gear. Mm -hmm. And now, like, how often is someone going to take $10,000 worth of a kayak and be like, hey, just come use mine? Like, and, and risk them flipping with all these screens and batteries and all this stuff. Like, really. There's a lot to lose, right? There is a lot to lose these days. Very much so. And, and, you know, I think there again, I think it is coming back around because hmm. you do need both, both worlds. I think in a lot of ways you need for those guys that start someplace, if they're, in, if they're very interested and in, you, you do need someplace for them to go to kind of like test their skills. And, and a lot of folks love that competitive side of, trying that and that's great i mean that's what that's what the dream is for a lot of folks in fishing and you know it's just part of it um but you always i think need those grassroots trails to get people invited and get people started and get them in their first kayak i mean that that's huge dude and it used to be so much more accessible cost wise right mm -hmm. and i see it coming back too like you, you see companies starting to we had that extreme ship. Everything went to pedal drives or motor specific. Remember when we used bags. to argue about pedals and paddles? It went a whole different direction, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we kind of went a different way. 
and pedals are cool, but like, I'm not a lake fisherman. You know, there's sections of the river I fish in a tournament where, you know, I might do a mile where the whole time bottom of my kayak's dragging because I'm in inches of water just picking out holes. And right. that never would work with pedal drives. So it just wasn't my thing, nothing against them, but there was nothing compared to the paddle kayak or more specifically the original Kusa, right? Like people might not realize this because of the way kayaks are designed now, but if you ever had a chance to paddle an original Kusa, just the way the hull was designed with that banana shape, you could float backwards through rapids, not paying attention to what's happening behind you, a rock, anything, and just know that that kayak was so forgiving, it would bounce you off rocks. And as long as you kind of had that hip action comfortable, there was no risk. You could be floating backwards through rapids, targeting holes on the side that no one else would cast to because they're focused on getting through the rapids. But uh -huh. like, those kind of kayaks just aren't around the way they used to be. I'm glad I found mine. I'm never letting go of that I, thing. But no, I think, you know, we, we do see some different, of course, we're on our third model of the Kusa now. Um, and then there's other river kayaks that have kind of popped up here in the last couple of years, which is neat to see that there is still, there's still a call for a good river paddling boat. And, you know, seeing, I think that there is a group of people that will always be true river fishermen in some way, shape or form. They're still out there. They might not, their voice might not just be as loud as it was at one time, I think is maybe the difference because it's overshadowed maybe by some of the other stuff. I, I think what ended up happening was like, you got to the point of the big money tournaments, right? That was the drive and mm -hmm. rivers like river bassing, for example, it wasn't for everybody. I think to this day, there's still a lot of people that are afraid of swift moving water and rightfully slow, like it's dangerous. But once you get comfortable with it, there's a passion behind it. And I think those fears even to this day have all but eliminated that type of water from com competition. You know, yeah, in a lot of ways. By having uh, like, for example, the new river, right? Mm hmm how many people can you think of that'll look at a tournament on the new river, start Googling and looking at the water and be like, that scares the shit out of me. I'm not fishing that. And um, that's, I think that's why a lot of the swift moving river events have faded away, or maybe they have a lake option involved where if you don't want to fish the river, you can fish the lake. And that kind of muddies the beauty of we're all in this crazy fast moving body of water together. We got to navigate this insanity and manage to catch fish. Like mm -hmm. there's something about it that like, I can't even begin to explain it. Being well, able to that, beat a river is like one of the most satisfying things. And I think that kind of goes back to the early days too. Like you had alluded to, everybody was learning. So not only was you learning fishing techniques, I, I think we were all learning how to paddle in a lot of different ways. Like there was advice that was being given more publicly on how to paddle a kayak and how to position and different things because obviously we weren't using a lot of pedal drives then there was only one major company out there at the time that had a pedal drive the rest of us were all paddling so there was a lot that went into crossing eddies boat positioning um learning the different paddle strokes and the different things that go along with it i think now you really don't have that kind of teaching as much in our sport as far as learning paddle strokes and boat positioning in places like rivers. 
see a lot of what you're explaining just coming back in the fall i fished one tournament i went to a kayak anglers tournament clearly it was a river tournament because that's what interests me um and you know i'm floating down the river and it was a big event i think there was like 60 anglers or something i mean for a local trail it's a big event and i noticed what i used to see in river bassing versus what i see now right like mm -hmm. there's people in hobies trying to get down a river with shallow sections and i see them yanking their drive up out of the kayak and trying to get through these tight spots and mm -hmm. then you know the basics that you mentioned right like we know having fish with water you come through a rapid right as soon as you see that eddy you want to tuck that paddle down and just turn right into that eddy backwards and fish it as you float out and nobody was doing that kind of stuff and that was just like automatic back then you know you'd see somebody do it and you're like oh that's how you hit that spot you kind of roll into it and you let your kayak flow and you end up pointing upstream and you're perfectly lined mm -hmm. up to hit that hole but i didn't see people doing that kind of stuff and like i didn't think about what you just said until right now but i guess nobody's teaching that stuff anymore really mm -hmm. no it's not talked about near as much and that's kind of some conversations that uh we've all had here recently is Man, it's just, it, it's very different. I mean, you look at, you remember when we used to work shows, you were used to work shows out in PA with River's Edge and different things like that. When one of the things that we prided ourselves on is, at Jackson Kayak was we would go up to people, like when people would come in a booth, it's like, okay, well, what kind of water are you paddling? Uh, and then that conversation led us down a road to where we could talk about the kusa we could talk about okay you maybe the big rig's right for you maybe the cruise 12 is right for you there was a conversation that went on based around the type of water you paddled to which kind of boat you would need and you you really left with a good fit as far as being taught at your local paddle shop as well and i think a lot of people now they go out they we we gather a lot of content online which is <clears throat> not a fault of our own it's easily accessible but we see that i've got a nar fd and it's got two screens and you know all these different gizmos and gadgets well automatically that light comes on in your head it's like okay well i need to build my kayak to resemble that before they even ever really understand it or try it and i think that's one of the big problems that we see out there today as well people just don't really understand as well maybe what type of boat they're buying or what they're really getting into yeah and it, to your point back then when we did shows you're exactly right right the conversation was had like what water are you fishing what fish are mm -hmm. you targeting what combination of water right like a guy that says i just fished rivers we were going straight mm -hmm. to the kusa it was a no question but yeah. the guy that said he was fishing lake erie we're looking at the kuda 14. Yep. or you know the person that they were fishing a combination of both the cuda 12 is a good mix you can get away mm -hmm. with doing both it's not going to do either or exceptionally but it'll do both good enough and like i guess that was our goal back then right put someone in a kayak that's going to do what they need to do yes. but now with the marketing and the big events and what people see they think the kayak that's going to do what they need it to do is that big one with all the gear mm -hmm. and all the electronics when in reality no one told them that they just might be a guy that's going to car top a light kayak and go out after work and have a good time so 
you know, he, he chases what he sees and thinks he needs. Mm -hmm. But then like, you know, come 5.30 PM, you get home from work and you're like, I would love to fish right now. But then you're like, yeah, you know what? I got to grab all those batteries. I got to hook the trailer up to the truck, all this, all this crap. And what do they do? They're like, yeah, not tonight. But back in yeah. the days of then where kayaks were 65, 75 pounds, it was throwing it in the truck bed. It was throwing mm -hmm. it on the top of a car, whatever. In 15 minutes, you could be loaded up to go to the water. There wasn't all this yeah. setup, right? And I, I feel like not necessarily people are making the wrong decision, but they're not looking at it as what is right for them. They're just looking at what they see marketed, right? But yeah, those, yeah. those lightweight kayaks are freedom. Being able to take a 65 pound kayak, lift it over your head, put it on top of your car and be at the river in 15 minutes and set up and go out, you know, three rods, no electronics. Mm -hmm. that, that is where your average person gets to fish multiple times a week. And that's the goal, right? And and just having that boat that you can that's small enough that you can do that with and throw it in the truck bed. And I'm gonna take the weight out of it because I know my boat weighs more than what you're talking. But you know, my my ex is set up with nothing. Um, I can literally throw a multi box in it, my hooks and weights, and a couple rods and go. I, I've kept it that way intentionally, just for that boat that you can throw it in the back of your truck and you can go. There's no, there's no qualm about it. You don't need to drag the trailer. You can drag it through the woods. You can drag it up, down the lawn ramp, whatever you got to do just to get it into the water. And there's, there's just something about that and having those no screens where you're just, man, you're fishing the fields. That's beautiful. And that's it, the beauty, right? Like when your kayak doesn't have all that stuff to deal with the trailer and everything else, you could pull up to any bridge on a river on the side of a road, just mm -hmm. slide that kayak right down the hill and you're on the water. Then yep. You don't need a boat ramp. You don't need all this stuff. Like, and guess what? Now you're fishing water that no one else can get on unless they mm -hmm. have that 70 pound kayak. You can literally push over a hillside and go launch. Yeah. It, it, it's all part of the beauty of it, right? Yeah. And it's amazing to see. I mean, looking at it and looking at from where we came from to looking at it now did you ever think that it was hitting this point did you ever imagine that it was going to get to this point i'll say yes so i saw early on because i was kind of like in that transition right where mm -hmm. kayak tournaments locally were 10 to 20 people like i was kind of there when it was just finding its footing but then i was also there when a local tournament was 50 people so I, I got to watch that insane growth and I kind of had it in the back of my head, like everything else, right? Like hunters can understand this. I'm sure mm -hmm. once something gets a social media buzz going about it, everybody's wondering how they can make money off of that. Right. And I knew that would happen to kayak fishing. It was inevitable and it was already happening. So I kind of knew it was going to go this direction. It's just, it's really interesting to me how far it's gone because mm -hmm. the reason I saw it explode was because it was accessible and cheap, mm -hmm. but now it's not that anymore. So I wonder like, when will kayak fishing kind of take a step back and look at itself and be like, wait a second, what made us popular isn't here anymore. 
So, and I kind of think it's happening to your point. The local mm -hmm. trails are starting to head back the direction they came from, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it really is. I know, I know our JK trails kind of cater into that. Of course, we have the big event at the end of the year, but at the same time, you're really able to, it's kind of like, it's kind of it's a lot like ka you're really able to fish your local area and then everybody kind of meets up at something bigger maybe at the end of the year which is cool um and ka kind of as it's grown has kind of got to this as it's adopted some different states and all that kind of stuff but it's it's neat to see people coming to the ramp like we have everybody check in check out um for the jk trail which is very cool in indiana like everybody meets up you pay cash at the ramp we still use tourney x which is fine but they meet up at the ramp pay their entry fee so you get to talk to them there and then at the end of the tournament everybody comes back to in-person awards which is it's great you get to see that local group um white guard out in the comments i i didn't know white a year ago today and now we've become good friends and it's cool to see and it's all because of those interactions at the local events which is fun and you know we all just like you were talking we got together down at kentucky lake for our big championship hung out had some beers ate some good food and you know rest is history so i think i do think it is coming back i think some of the stuff that's um river bass in part two i don't even know what he's calling it um, i think it's like kayak adventure series i believe yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a boondoggle type of thing and that's going to be neat to see it coming back i think there again stuff like ka the mska the the local trails are, are starting to rise back up and i think that's neat will we ever get it back to what it was i don't know i don't know it's hard to say I think, I think you'll never so capture those diverse. initial feelings. I mean, that yeah. shit was special. Let's just be honest. It was. Just watching it, was it cool. grow. I mean, there were so many new companies coming out of the woodwork and exploding and like mm -hmm. business owners doing things for the right reasons, being loyal to their customers. And it was a cool time. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see that specifically. But, you know, personally, I would love to see the simpler side of kayak fishing kind of have a resurgence right and i kind of have that own view of myself like i was joking about it and talking to people last year when i got back into this you know i got a couple kayaks started fishing my river down the street in like two months i covered 30 miles of river probably like three times over and i was just mm -hmm. like it, it was a like a drug that i just found my way back to <laughs> and i went nuts and then like i started thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? I got to get a truck. I got to do all these mm -hmm. things. And it, my mind started to go in the wrong direction. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to do any of that. Like, I drive Mini Coopers, literally Mini Coopers. <laughs> and I'm going to throw a rack on the top of that shit and show up at tournaments with a kayak on top of a Mini Cooper because I don't care. Nothing matters in that regard, right? As long as I get no. there, I only need three rods. I've never seen a river that... I can't catch the best fish in it with three rods and I don't need a graph. Like if I could see the bottom of the river, what the hell do I need a graph for? So like, no. I thought it's it more through, about like, reading the water and it, that's it. Right. Water surface is more important than what's happening mm -hmm. under it. It tells you everything that's happening under it. But 
I even had that moment just getting back into it where I'm like, shit, I got to go buy a new truck. Got to do this. Got to get a trailer. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, 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 wait. Rods. Yeah. yeah. Even rods. Like I, I started messing around buying cheap rods and like trying out different brands and some of these mm -hmm. newer brands. And then I'm like, you know what? Like, this is crazy. I'm just going to go back to the shit that used to work 10 years ago. And I'm sure it still works. And oh, yeah. it was just that it was fine. I was breaking rods and shit, trying all these new brands. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, let me just go back to what I know. That's awesome. So we did have a question. I'm going to flip it back up here. I don't know if you can see the screen or not. It's a little long. Yep. Um, let's see here. Paddling. That's up a good question if you don't know any better. There you go. I'll let you filter. Yeah. So basically, when you're working in swift current or even moderate, right, you're not coming back up. It's impossible. You, you can't have an enjoyable day of fishing trying to float a mile down a river and paddle back up it. You do float trips. So mm -hmm. again, camaraderie, right? The thing we're talking about, you need a partner. So you take two vehicles, you go down to the takeout, you drop the vehicle there, you take their kayak, you load it onto your vehicle, you drive up river to the put-in, you guys launch, you float down to the other vehicle, throw both kayaks on that, go back up to the other vehicle and you part ways. You plan mm -hmm. these boat trips. We used to do it in tournaments, everything. Oh yeah. I even knew a guy, my buddy, Randy, he had a, a supermoto, which is like a dirt bike with street yes. bike tires. They're pretty neat. He would <laughs> hook that on the back of his truck. He would take the supermoto to the takeout, chain it to a tree, mm -hmm. drive up to the put in and launch, come back down to the takeout chain the kayak to the tree take the bike ride back to the truck and go get it like you can get real mm -hmm. creative with this stuff but yeah like that's all part of it right you need someone else to enjoy the day with for that flow trip to be set up and have fun unless you're really creative like randy was but i mean not everybody has a motorcycle to throw on the back of the and truck for and safety that. reasons for safety yeah, reasons exactly just to have somebody with you you make a good point like i'm comfortable floating down a river by myself just because of the years and years of doing it but if there's moving water or any rapids of any sense, it's probably not the best idea. No, it, it can go bad. If it, if it can go bad, it can go bad on a river quickly. Um, just takes a second. But yeah, even Uber. I mean, there's yeah, I mean Uber guys works. up in Indianapolis that would like chain their kayak up, call Uber, have Uber pick them up, go get their truck and come back. There's a lot of ways you can do it. And to your point, right, like. I think we need to touch on that for a second. Rivers will kill you. Yeah, it yeah. don't take much. Uh, a simple, weird circumstance coming through a small rapid, you roll over, hit your head off a rock, you don't have a life vest on, that's the end. So yeah. I, I guess the one point I should make in all this positive talk of rivers is you have to respect them. You know, it's, I guess that brings me to something too, like why I find rivers so special, right? You go out on a river, and you just take a moment in swift water. You know, you, you got the beaver building the dam. You got the fish nesting on the dam. You got mm -hmm. a bird of prey of some sort, depending upon where you're at, scooping fish. As you float down that river, you don't see other people, right? Because it's a swift moving river. There's no boats and stuff. It gives you this humbling sense that all this stuff is happening, all this wildlife, all these things that complement each other. And the only thing out of place is me. I don't mm -hmm. belong here. 
all this stuff helps each other. I'm literally just in the way. And I get to float down the river and enjoy that peace. That That's mm-hmm. the one thing, like, we could talk all day about kayak fishing being inviting or not, but, like, that's it yeah. to me. The river being humbling. It just reminds me that I don't matter to it. And it's the mm-hmm. most beautiful thing ever, right? Like, you just you find this sense of peace out there. Like, all this is happening around me. The only thing that doesn't matter is me. Yeah, I mean it's the best way to that that's the best way to put it and i think you know when you're in one of those shallow rivers and and you're working and and you're you're basically you're fighting against mother nature is what you're doing you're dragging up you're over logs you're dragging through shallow bars and different things like that and i mean you're on your feet you're up you're in your kayak you're hopping out of your kayak i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of movement to get to some of these places in some of these shallow areas and it's just there's something that's just so damn satisfying at the end of it if you can catch fish in that scenario some of the stuff that we do to get to a spot it's just rewarding in a different level it It is you're you're challenging nature something that's clearly better than us and oh yeah if you can put together that bag of amazing fish on water that most people don't get to navigate like uh, the new river is an amazing example. There's sections in the new river that the only way you're getting out of something happens is by helicopter. Like mm-hmm. just the thought of that humbles me, let alone being on it and experiencing it and catching fish and having an enjoyable mm-hmm. day. Like it's a whole psychological thing. And it, I don't find peace anywhere. Like I find on a river. Yeah. And, you know, to that Testament, even your, even your flatter rivers, I mean, you can get caught up in something and, have just as talking about the new i mean if our river here's flat but you know something could go wrong and there's only you know you're going to get to that point where only a helicopter or it's going to take a while for another boat to get to you um if you're mid float somewhere along the line so and who's to say you've got signal yeah that's kind of it right like you gotta really be careful it takes you back to like your roots is just nature right like we have a lot of safety nets in life there's not a lot of fear that we carry day to day but a river gives a little bit of that back to you because you know what if something happens to me and i grab my phone it might not do me any good like so you have to be cautious in a sense that you have to plan for these things it's just all very humbling it is and in a in a beautiful way it's yeah it's humble in a beautiful way that's there's no other way to put it to the folks at home if you haven't experienced it calls up we'll go we'll go with you you might be part of our next feature film but we'll go with you and that's kind of the cool thing right like back then it was nothing for someone to be like hey i'm interested in this kayak fishing thing and it's like well four or five of us are going out this saturday you want to come it was just normal I mean, oh, yeah. I don't know how much that happens now. I'm too far detached to really say if it does or doesn't, but that was the norm back then. You know, the first time I ever got onto a kayak and fished, Noah reached out to me, that whole deal I explained earlier about sponsoring mm-hmm. the trail. And he was like, you know what? Meet us at Lake Arthur, which is a lake, you know, north of Pittsburgh. And was like, mm-hmm. we'll get you a kayak. We'll get you paddle, life vest, everything, get you out on the water. And that's what I did. And it got me hooked. But it was all somebody else's mm-hmm. stuff. And 
I feel like that used to be the norm, right? Like everybody would just let everybody use their stuff and get you mm -hmm. out there because we wanted people to experience that peace, the the camaraderie, the the stuff that we loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it still happens a little bit. I know it happens for me. You know, I've, I let a couple people use some of our boats over the winter. They now are over towards the end of last summer and they now own those said boats, um, which was really cool. It got, you know, I, I shared the pictures with you, the couple of boys that had never went down the river or the creek like that and you know we pulled up to the first tree and it's like man we i guess we're done we're gonna have to turn i'll go back and i hopped out drug over the tree and we just kept going and it was you know that kid come back and he he bought that he bought that bike i mean it's like i want that kayak i've done yeah. seen what this will do and that's pretty freaking cool i got to a place that i didn't realize that i could get to i want that boat and just the same with you and Noah. And now the fishing family grows by too. So I'm going to put you on hold for one see. second. This beer caught up with me. I got to hit the restroom before I have a there problem. You go. <laughs> Give me one minute. <laughs> <laughs> so while Don's checking out, if you guys have got questions in the audience, feel free to ask them uh, right now. Go ahead and pop those up. I'm going to pay some bills while we're doing this little break here. So we've obviously, we've got to thank Jackson kayak Orion coolers for uh, letting us do this kayak um, fishing podcast. It's been absolutely phenomenal the last two years going on three now. So we're happy about that. Obviously we want to thank uh, Z pro lithium proud sponsor, keeping Zach and I powered all year long uh, casking rods and reels um, for everything that they do for us. Check them out. Casking.com. And obviously Bass Co. Fishing. Don't have the Bass Co. swag on tonight. It's chilling out outside, so got the hoodie back on. But uh, Bass Co. Fishing, hit up my boy Chris. He's got some really awesome apparel. He's getting ready to drop some new threads. Coming here early this spring, so be on the lookout for those. But yeah, Evolve Fishing, if you guys are interested in uh, some killer rod sleeves, check those guys out. JKT15, if you guys want 15% off on some killer rod sleeves so check those out of all fishing.com and yeah so that's that's the people we're thanking for helping us out with this podcast and for orion and jackson kayak hope you guys are enjoying some of those cool products out there but anyway our guest is back i paid the bills while you're my apologies so it worked out perfect i didn't need to do that anyway so did you got a commercial break <laughs> I, it was kind of a commercial break yeah you could say that i did the necessities why you took care of the necessities to Let's your point see. though before i left you you mentioned something right that was the key to how we used to market kayaks yeah it was the come on out like we got everything we we got life fest we got paddles mm -hmm. we got kayaks you know us guys that were doing the sponsorship thing back then we had several so mm -hmm. what better way to sell a product and put someone in it and give them an experience mm -hmm. right like yeah. it, it wasn't about sponsoring a social media post or paying a hundred bucks to get that post to go further. Oh yeah. The one thing that worked better than all else was putting a butt in the seat of a kayak. Cause like you said, after that day of fishing nine times out of 10, they went to a shop that you told them to go to and they bought a kayak. It, yeah. It was different. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it was it was completely different. And, you know, one of the cool things why you were actually on your vacation from fishing um, 
Emily Jackson has kind of come into the fold as our marketing director at Jackson Kayak. And one of the things that she, I'm going to say brought back, but she didn't, she just kind of developed a different way to do it. She calls it the Jackson Kayak Fun Tour. So where what you do is she'll actually get a group of paddlers together. They'll go meet up at a different shop or wherever or a pool, and they'll have a few whitewater demos and different things like that. Put some people on in boats, teach them how to roll, some different things like that. Just basically small clinics. So I think it's still around. Jameson did do some of it in the fishing space last year. Some of the team guys got to help uh, put some of that on. It wasn't quite the same as the whitewater, and that's one of the things that we are working on for 2024, 2025, is to, you know, how do we how do we make those better fishing-based seminars so we're not just standing around maybe at a dealership, you know, waiting on people to walk in but you know there was pizza there was beer there was all kinds of different things you know trying to get people welcomed out welcome to come out to a dealer try out and demo a boat and i think that was a neat neat thing it's a little bit different twist than what we used to do it but it's still that same concept of trying to build a community through the doors of a dealership and back then you had to support the dealerships right because mm-hmm. like for jackson back then i mean i don't know if you guys still have this but they had that star program that's how i got started with jackson yep. and that was genius right like why not mm-hmm. set up sponsorships through a local shop to drive traffic to the shop and then mm-hmm. that also gave jackson a pool of candidates to pull up to a national level where applicable it was really mm-hmm. smart and the other thing i'll add is like the star program was pretty awesome back then like the way they supported yeah. an angler was i mean i don't know what you guys do these days but it was good support just yeah. based on well, the way you know you got your annual boat you kind of went through the process yeah. you know if you wanted additional boats you got them at a discount or whatever it was but just driving that traffic to the retailer was very smart mm-hmm. well and it's what got a lot of us to where we're at today is because we we took those kinds of things seriously and, and worked shows and did the different things. And it was, it was a great, it was a great way to stair step yourself. Things are a little bit different now, but they're, they're changing and evolving as we kind of work on a, a little bit of a reset for some of the different things that we were doing. But, you know, when you go through different changes, it, it that's just part of the process to kind of get it back in line to where it needs to go. And anyone that knows kind of like my fishing career, I have a huge amount of respect for Jackson. Jackson did a lot for me. It was a very mutually beneficial relationship. Like one thing I'll never forget that I got to experience in life. Um, I don't know how much she's still around, but there was this angler, Samantha Gay. Um, back Man, in the day, she, she invited me down to South Carolina to a farm. And basically the whole gist of it was, we're gonna take like a hundred plus fifth graders. They're gonna show up in buses. And we're gonna fish with them. We're gonna teach them how to kayak. And literally, like I loaded up my vehicle with a trailer full of kayaks, drove down there, and was taking these fifth graders out in Jackson kayaks. And Jackson kayaks supported all that. Like it was one of the most amazing experiences ever. I remember some little kid flipped over on purpose, and she looked at me right before she did it. She was like, "I'm gonna freak all the teachers out." And I was like, "Please don't." And then she rolled out of the kayak on purpose and there's like teachers screaming and I'm like, trust me, she's fine. She said she was going to do this. And it was a whole thing. Oh my God. <laughs> I remember you doing that. I actually, I remember very vividly you guys going down there and doing that. I don't remember who all went with you, but I remember you going. 
Yeah, I think it was me and one other Jackson angler and then my girlfriend yeah. at the time. And he brought some kayaks. I loaded a whole trailer up full of kayaks. Mm-hmm. We just paddled these kids around a farm pond on this huge southern farm. And they had that a was, blast. Like they were loving it. Yeah, that was uh that was very cool. Let's see. Fun tour Tennessee, musky bass, stripers, and everything in between. Charlie will be your guide, and he knows a great place for breakfast afterwards. He said he's buying. Um, let's see. Like the we get talking, and like the questions come in faster, or the comments come in faster than I can pop. I'm them trying up to on look for him now. <clears throat> Rudy, yes, you can come go river fishing with me anytime you would like. You are always welcome. I will put you up for the weekend anytime. You don't even have to bring a boat, bro. You can use one of mine. You just fly out. I'll pick you up. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's it is it's crazy. So, where you're at now? Are you? Do you feel like the fire's back completely? The fire's different. I I know enough now to understand what was most important to me. And that's what I'm going for. Like, you know, I kind of bullshitted around and said, I'm getting back into tournament fishing and doing all that. But like, I never really explained how I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not trying to chase big tournaments. I have no interest in Hobie Mm -hmm. or KBF or any of that. I just want to travel around and visit the local trails I used to fish and hang out Mm -hmm. with the people I used to hang out with that are still around. And yeah, in that sense, I'm back. And in that sense, the fire is a thousand percent there. Like, my goal is to have those enjoyable times. I don't care if I win. I don't care about money from a tournament or any of that. Like, I want to rent a house in Tennessee, mm-hmm. invite all the people I haven't seen in eight years over to the house, back the way we used to do it, right? Like, come over. Maybe someone knows how to cook and barbecue, and we'll give them some cash and pitch in and make barbecue. We just stay at Charlie's. Yeah, that, like in the it's funny you say that, but that's how it used to be, right? Yeah. Like Charlie I used to say, like, I'm coming down to such and such area for a tournament, and people will just reach out to me, like, stay at my house. And I was always yeah. amazed by that, right? And it it always worked out, and people went back and forth with that stuff. I was kind of curious if that still happened, but it seems it's, it's no different. No, I mean, I think it does happen to an extent. I don't think it happens as much. I think you know, we all travel a little bit different than what we do and what we used to. And, you know, I mean, I don't camp as well as I used to like the holiday ends pretty cush anymore. That's about as, it's about as camping as I've gotten a long time, but I'm okay with that. You know, as long as you got a good group of dudes and after my neck surgery, I don't do sleeping on the ground. I I retired Mm -hmm. that fact. Like I'll rent a house, maybe a cabin or something, but cabin house. Yeah, yeah, somewhere to crash. The on the ground stuff, I'm too old for. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a, a good Tennessee river float sounds epic. We need to set that up, dude. Like, get some get some players back together, and Tennessee sounds like a good spot to do it. Tennessee is amazing. the The section I fished for the River Bastion Championship years ago, I did pretty well in it. I had to drag for over a mile to get mm-hmm. out of inch deep water. And it paid off huge. I'll never give that spot up because it wasn't mine to give up. But man, like I dragged for about a mile and a half in trickles of water. 
like we're talking the whole creek was this wide and i'm just dragging a kayak through it and then all of a sudden like a euphoric circumstance the woods just opened up into this big pool and just spread out on this farm where i imagine they dredged a piece of this little tiny creek for farming or whatever but the fish that were in that section oh, but that's the adventure right like I drug for a mile to get there. Like I'm tired. I don't want to drag anymore, but I got the reward and that's what used to be so fun about it. Oh yeah. It's, it's still, I mean, to me, I think it's that, it's that kid that's inside you that never leaves. I, I don't think, I think, you know, you just find different ways to wake him up to get out of the mundane circle that is life. And when you're out there, in a little plastic boat doing dumb things he comes alive again it's like it's like riding your bicycle to the street light come on you know it's that kid again when you're out there in the boat i had one long conversation with my girlfriend one night trying to like explain what the river means to me and i think she absorbs it too well because now like if i'm being irritable or shitty she'll be like go sit by the river for a little while <laughs> like it's what she literally tells me to like just go down the street to the river okay come back later. <laughs> but that's what it is uh, though it, it's just yeah. it's relaxing it's peaceful it takes you away from your life and kind of just washes all that stuff away for a couple hours it does and it's a beautiful beautiful time well dude like so i gotta ask you what do you feel like is next for you besides you know, just kind of getting back into this at a slow pace. Are you going to wake Noah up? So I'll always fish with Noah, whether or not he chooses to get involved in a tournament's up to him. I'm going to try to drag him to one. So mm -hmm. there's going to be a tournament this year on my river, like right by my house. He mm -hmm. doesn't know this yet. Maybe he'll see this, but I'm going to try to be like, Hey, you know, guest room, come up fish this tournament with me we'll see what can happen it's a local tournament trail i'll see if no. i can get him to come back around i don't know if i'm gonna get him back on facebook i think he's over this stuff but oh yeah at that point so. it, him and i actually work together so i still talk to the dude every day like i don't know if people understand this but Noah and i met a little over 10 years ago we started kind of like working together through kayak anglers as a nonprofit, and 412 is my business but whenever we kind of like segued out of fishing, him and I both ended up working for the same consulting firm. We ended up both working for the same tech company. Now we both work for the same software company. So him and I have been super close for years. I don't think that's ever going to go away. So chances of you no. seeing me on the water with him are very good. Well, I hope so. I've been a hot minute since I've seen him or got a chance to talk to him, but definitely miss him and his wisdom. He was, yeah, uh, I think he's it, always been I a good I'll, one. I'll drag him out this year. I don't know if he'll come back to the whole social media thing, but I'm definitely going to try to yeah. get him out to an event. It's not for everybody. He's going to have to get on it sooner or later. His boy's getting older. Yeah. And, and the watching. other thing, the other thing too, like as far as like where I plan to go with all this, nowhere really like i i don't have any desires like i to don't want sponsorships river. i don't yeah exactly like to the river and to the people that i miss you know you john rap said something the other day like i i'm just so glad to see john don's back into kayak fishing and i'm like thinking to myself like i just want to see people like you again that's, that's what i miss yeah. 
you know, maybe someday I'll get back into business in the fishing industry. I've tossed around the idea. Probably not the same way that I did it. I don't want to manufacture a damn thing ever again. So you don't want to I'd like to keep the skin on your hands this round. Yeah. Manufacturing is tough. Like I might get into like retail sales or something an outfit or who knows. But like as I get to the point that I can retire, that might be my backup plan. I don't know. Gene says no used to verify all my bass and entries. He was their encouragement. He, no, it was a great encouragement. I probably wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Noah. Um, Something to be yeah. said about the impact that guy had on a lot of people. He did. He had a huge impact on a lot of people. Like I said, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for his early guidance and yours, obviously, as well. I think he connected yeah. us by chance, by the way. Yeah, he connected us. And then there was Doug at Hoorag. And there's just like, there's just a group of you guys that kind of helped me and Zach Bailiff. And yeah, now we're here. Like took two guys that were like into boat fishing and now we're like kayak gurus. I don't even know if we call ourselves gurus. That's kind of like, that feels arrogant. I don't even, I'm not a guru. I'm just you a think about like it for that. a second and you look back to the original stuff. The beauty of kayak fishing is there was no gurus. It, nah. it just was what it was. It was just grass. Just show up. Like maybe someone knows a little bit more than you and they help you out. But yeah. the next week you're going to be someone that knows a little bit more than somebody else. And you're going to help them out. It's kind of what yeah. made it beautiful. It was all about PVC and DYI pages, DYI groups, drilling holes and shit, and gluing things on stuff that you shouldn't be thinking about. <laughs> we, had, we had Luther on an episode, and you know, like he is like he is the DIY page now. I mean, he's got everything, but it was fun to have him on and talk about some of the early stuff, uh, like what we you and I have talked about as far as rigging and different things. And it's just it's fun to hear his take on it and see like absolutely how far it's gotten the manufacturing process that he's got now to make sure that we're not going to Lowe's and buying PVC and stealing crates out of the bathroom or out of the back of the grocery stores anymore and all the different things. I still have an original black pack. Dude. Like the old school, whatever that board is <laughs> called, like not even close to waterproof, nothing. <laughs> I've still got my Drake crate and I'm holding on to it with my with my cold dead hands i i think you know if i could be cremated i think i want to go out in my j crate because they just you're not going to get nothing like those ever wherever again the only black the only reason i still have my black pack is because i think it's a one of a kind and the only one that was ever made in white so i have a white mm. black pack and one of my old school retailers from back in the day was Columbus Kayak. And mm -hmm. for one of their tournaments, they had engraved on a white black pack, Columbus Kayak, and Luther donated it for the tournament. And I placed and won this black pack that was actually white. Still to this day, I have that thing. And there's a dude that used to work at Columbus Kayak that through the years has repeatedly asked me if he can have it yet. And I just keep saying no. <laughs> no absolutely not you think any of these things that we've got will ever be like somebody's going to be going through like dead people stuff at some antique store one of these days they're going to be like man i remember this this kayak fish thing this was awesome i still have the original 412 bait coast shirt that was ever made i like 
there's a lot of cool shit that's hiding in people's closets like oh yeah that will never be reproduced and like by the time it ends up in somebody's hand they might not even understand what it is but like there's they some really cool old shit like imagine the first black pack luther ever made is probably out there somewhere and yeah, by the time it resurfaces it might not mean anything to anyone but like to us it would it's important oh, stuff yeah. it is i mean even kayaks like one of these days the kusa will get to the point where it's the og will get to the point where it is very 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 rare and there's still a lot of them out there right now but it will hit a time when it gets very very rare it'll be hard telling what they'll be worth i'm never letting mine go now that i got it back like it's a one of a kind i've never seen one made in that color ever before yeah russell wants to know is it the original shirt with the black and orange smalley so i have a ton of those but no so the original shirt and, and this brings me to the original stickers too so the original shirt like had this weird little like 412 bait co really stock kind of like emblem none of the mm -hmm. fish or any of that shit that people remember this was way before that and i still have this and then the other thing that was really cool some people remember this some of this wall when I first started my company, my girlfriend had labels made for my bags. And it was the most generic logo of a fish head and a little hook. It, mm -hmm. it was like stock photo from some mm -hmm. random printless label website. And But to the people that remember getting a bag with that on it, it's special, right? Like there's probably oh, yeah. people that probably could pull up a picture of one of those bags right now. And like, that's what was cool about all of it, right? Like mm -hmm. I got to share that with other people. And still to this day, people get excited about that shit. Like just remembering the beginning and knowing that they were a part of it. Yeah, I've, I've actually still, I'm down to just about zero, but I still have a few bags. I've still got like one bag of tubes that you had actually made. But man, it's 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 getting down to just about nothing. And like those don't come out unless it's like dire consequences. It's like because you can't get it anymore. But then they end up like the phase four and wrecked. Believe it or not, man, a lot of that stuff's available again. And Joe's the kind of dude that if somebody goes to him and be like, hey, we need cold steel back he might do it so it's yeah. up to everybody like if that's shit you want just go ask him he might do it i mean honestly i've like i don't know probably like a 400 hundred dollar order in with him right now because i don't know how to fish anything else i got my whole tournament career revolves around those baits so like i got back into it the last end of last year and i'm like in the store looking at stuff and i'm like this isn't what works for me and mm -hmm. then I went to Joe and was like, hey, can I get some of this, this, and this? And he sent me a small order, and I'm catching fish. And then I joked about it the one day. I'm like, how the hell do I have one salt and pepper Freeman left? Like, that should never happen in my life. Like, I, any given time, I had 10 bags of that shit that I could hand out to other people, let alone keep myself stocked. Mm -hmm. So, like, over the course of this winter, I just placed this huge order and was like, I got to restock. Mm -hmm. I got to get myself back where I belong with this stuff because that's all I know. 
I would love to show you cold steel, but I do not have any anymore, Rudy. Sorry. Um, rest in peace. That's all I can. T- that's all I can tell you, bud. Um, what I can do though, let's do this. Uh, I'm gonna open this in a new tab. Um, we'll show you the face spinner bait. That way, you guys can at least see that move to a new window. Boom. All right, let's go to here. Go to present share screen. Boom, boom, boom. Windows share. There you guys go. Phase five spinner bait comes in three eighths and a quarter ounce only. None of this half ounce, none of the fancy stuff. It's all all right there. Tennessee shad. That was another one of my favorites, man. That was the bait that went with cold steel perfectly. Yep chartreuse shad let's see the yodas soft plastics let's go down here to swim baits i think it's under swim baits yeah the best trailer ever right here the yoda 4.5 and the 3.5 but you gotta buy the 3.5 you don't buy the 4.5 for the trailer 4.5 is fish by yourself the 3.5 is your trailer both for swim jigs and spinner baits all day. Yeah, but that was the uh, that was the one, the closest, the Dreamsicle version. That was obviously the trailer. Um, Tennessee Smoke is about as close, Rudy, as you can get to Cold Steel. It had more of a bluish flake to it and a little bit of a. Go to PA Blue Crawl. That is basically Cold Steel, but blue instead of silver, basically. Yeah, very similar. The tail would probably pass off, actually, because that's probably most of what you're going to see. Yeah, pearl white. So you guys are looking for a cool trailer. My favorite combo was the Copperhead Yoda for the trailer Mm -hmm. and the Dream Sickle Spinnerbait. The contrast, the way the skirt flowed over the darker color trailer, perfect. There's Copperhead. Looks good, man. It looks now so you good. got me reminiscing over here. Like I know, I know. I, I, I couldn't even I make a base that's right right now. I don't think I remember how. Then <laughs> <laughs> there was the uh there's the free line right there. Come the five inch free minnow in tournament mm-hmm. series thinking. Mm-hmm. Weightless. Look, there's all there's all the different versions. And like you bought it like this, but it was like really the ultimate Ned because you could go with the rip the tail off and then you had the 3.5. And it was like it was it was the Ned before the Ned. I still got some of the small ones. The crappie will kill those things. Yeah, they even have the little tiny, I think there's like what one and a five inch, I think he still makes. That was the crappie killer. Yeah, right there. Or one seven five. Yeah. One point one seven five. Yeah, they were my own shit. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, you know. But yeah, those old. were those are some crappie killers for sure, right there. They just knocked the crap out of them. I mean, look at it all. We got all kinds of stinger fry. And he's added some stuff. I mean, he had a he had the other bait company too when he come in and Got with 412, didn't he? Yeah, and not only that, he's like I was just talking to him recently. He's had a huge run on crappy baits. Like mm-hmm. people are eating the crappy baits up, his and the old 412 stuff. Apparently, 
somebody made a video you know how it goes these days right somebody mm -hmm. made a video it went viral and now he's selling tons of crappy baits i used to struggle to sell the little shit dude i just wish we could have got the the phase vibration the vibrating vibrating jig i wish it would have made an entry before you stopped i never I wanted say. to do it because of the legal ramifications that ran around it right like it wasn't right. my thing i wasn't trying to get a cease and desist and deal with all that crap but yeah i agree a thousand percent for a while though um z-man literally had a chatterbait in dreamsicle i'm mm -hmm. not going to say how that came to be but it existed after the dreamsicle phase three was born and mm -hmm. those were awesome but then they disappeared they're not available anymore but it was literally mm -hmm. a dream sickle skirt on a chatterbait but they faded away i think they called it gold oh. shad good man i had a brownish colored one i don't think it was near it had a gold blade ryan's got one for you <laughs> he was supposed <laughs> to come float with me last fall down the river and his truck broke down literally that morning or something he was like i can't make it and i'm like all right i'm going anyway <laughs> and i still went and my girlfriend picked me up but we were supposed to do a float together i luckily got to touch base with a couple people and do floats late last year steve basto was one of the dudes i jumped out on the water with i got a couple people locally like that i knew from back then they just live mm -hmm. up here and we could fish the clarion river together and i've learned the river pretty well pretty fast i mean it it's like anything else, right? I traveled all over fishing rivers. I just had to Google pre-fish and find the spots, but mm -hmm. it didn't take long. It's all fun and games till Google gets you in a wintertime thing or high water situation. Like you can't see what you want to see. I guess that's an asterisk, right? Like Google pre-fishing yeah. school on rivers, but you have to be also looking at the gauges because what you see on Google might not be what is there today. So mm -hmm. a combination of both is how you keep yourself safe, but yep. that's the best way to pre-fish rivers. Just start, get on Google, look at a river, and just start scrolling through that whole river. Find spots that look fishy, look for the breaks in the water surface, find the swift mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Check your float, map your float. Yep. All right, dude, well, we've made it an hour and 33 minutes, so I know you gotta go to work in the morning and i should everybody'd probably like it if i actually did something tomorrow so i'm gonna let you go dude i'm gonna let you thank the people and if people want to find you on the socials and hear more about your fishing trips you can tell them where to find you yeah so if you look me up um i don't use my personal page anymore to post fishing stuff i have like you know the old like follow page donald corbett easy to find um but yeah all i'm gonna do is just post kind of like going out on the water this weekend pictures of some fish and stuff nothing crazy no marketing or any of that just enjoying myself maybe even get informational from time to time there you go man i like it well guys thanks for watching thanks for listening um if you missed this episode and others you can check us out always on spotify google podcast well it's youtube podcast now wherever podcasts are held as long as it's not apple podcast one day i promise zach and i will get apple podcast figured out but until then thanks for watching we'll see you guys next week doc talk will be back next week orion podcast is back next week so come on back now thanks everybody thanks for having me as well have a good